Welcome to the Life Church STL podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope this message encourages and inspires you. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Today I want to speak uh, with you about expectation and uh, and and the reason that we should have expectation and who who God is, what he's going to do, what he wants for us. And I've talked a little bit about this before, about hope and, you know, the ordinary, normal way that that we use the word hope is, is kind of like, you know, I hope something will happen. And if you've been here for a little while, you've heard me say that. But the biblical definition of hope, the the definition that is the true definition that is used in the Bible, and, in, and we need to understand this when we read these scriptures that have the word hope in it, that that definition is, a, is an expectation of good things. Or for us as Christians, it, it says it's an expectation of the salvation of God, that we expect it to happen. That's what hope is. Hope expects you know what that word is? I, I believe it, I know it, and I know it's going to happen. I have an expectation. And, and as I... I've been... Oh, I've been thinking about, about this word a little bit. And contemplating and thinking about how much expectation I have. So again, I'm going to preach to myself, and I'm glad you're here to listen as I preach to myself. Because I've needed the encouragement to be expectant and expect God to do things. And to have this hope to have this expectation that God is going to work things out, that he is going to move, that he is going to do what he said he would do. And in a way, I believe that and I, and I knew it, but was I acting on it and was I allowing him to do what he wanted to do and not getting in the way or not sitting back saying, I don't know. You know, that's the thing that we do is just like, well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if God wants to. I don't know if, you know, if, if he, does he really want to do this in my life? Does, does he really, do, oh, even more so, do, does he really want to use me? Like, yeah, I know God does those those amazing things, and, and he uses people and, and to do miraculous and great things, but, but you know, I, I just don't know if he wants to use me. I mean, probably somebody else, right? But are we standing in that faith, that trust, that hope, that expectation that God is going to do something in us and through us and not 
putting any barriers or boundaries on who he is or what he wants to do because of our own flaws or our thinking like, you know, God, I know you're good. I know you're going to do great things, but you're probably going to use somebody else. This hope is an expectation that it's going to happen, but not just, it's not just an expectation, but it's, it's a confidence. It's an assurance of hope. A com- Man, I, I want to walk like that. I don't know about you. Come on. God is saying these things to you. I want to use you. I want you to walk in freedom. I want you to walk in in hope, in healing. I want you to speak that over your family. I want you to speak that over those that you work with. I want to see things happen. This is what he's speaking to you. I want to see those things happen through you to other people. Wow, I don't think you guys get it. Like, yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. I heard it like a real quiet amen. I see, I, I feel this list. Listen, I that's me too. See, I think that's I've said this before too. It's like this one thing that I I learned growing up as a pastor's kid. Is that so many times People see pastors as like, oh, there's something that just came out of a box every Sunday, ready to preach, and don't live life. But what I'm telling you is that we're all in the same boat. We're all the same people that go through the same things. And you can say, oh, well, yeah, you're a pastor. Who cares? I'm nothing. Look at who you are. Look at who you are, Clay. David. Look at who you are. What what does God want to do through you? Too many times we look around us and say, well, this, or well, they have this, or they, you know, they were born in this family, or when they were, you know, they grew up this way, or, you know, they, what, how many excuses do we have? I can't even, let me count the ways. No, I can't. Excuse after excuse. But can we just put those aside? Can can we just lay those things down? Whatever our mechanism of protection or guarding ourselves or making ourselves feel better because we don't think that God actually wants to use us, can we set those aside and say, God, I trust you and I have hope and expectation that I have confidence that you are going to do this in my life and you do want to use me and I'm going to see these things happen. In Romans 4.3, it says, 
For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. They don't have this one, but they're going to have this one. Romans 4, 18. It says, who contrary to hope, in hope believed that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, that faith, that conviction of the truth. He wasn't weak in his conviction of the truth of who God was. And that he will do it. Not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead. He didn't consider that he was old and past childbearing. He didn't even think about that. It says since he was about 100 years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb, they were older. It was an excuse, you know, that he could have had, that he could have allowed to come into his thought process and his thinking and how he was trusting God and the hope and the faith that he had. He could have said, well, I mean, there's younger people around. Again, you know, there's so many excuses. But it says in verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Being fully convinced. I want to be fully convinced. Not, you know, like I'm halfway convinced. I'm Three quarters of the way convinced. No, fully convinced. There is not one speck of doubt in my mind. That's what it is. Fully convinced that God will do what he promised. It says in verse 22, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Because he put his full trust and hope and expectation. He expected God was going to do it. He said, God doesn't lie. He doesn't joke around. He's not trying to trick me. Sometimes, you know, anybody done that? You don't have to raise your hand. God, I think you're just trying to trick me. You you spoke this thing over my life or you told me that you were going to do this thing and I think that you were tricking me. There was no possible scenario in him that said God can't do it. He was fully convinced. And look, this he's speaking about, it's not like, you know, he knows God's going to do it because he's doing it right now and he's seeing it happen. What he's speaking about is the future. First of all, in the, in the near future, that God's going to give him a son, right? And now he did waver a little bit. He did think like, well, maybe I need to help God. And we all know that that doesn't work out, right? 
But he's not just talking about this, this near future, but even that God spoke to him. There, you are the seed, and there is so much that's going to come out of you for years and years and years to come. Not just that I'm going to do this one thing, but I have a nation. I, I have a people. I have a Savior that is going to come. And you're going to be a part of that. See, oh, mm. And in Romans 4.21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. God does not promise things that he's not able to perform. I just, you know, we come to church, we sing the songs, we hear the message, we're like, oh, that was so good. And then we go out and then we're like, wow, God, you've promised all these things. You've said these things and I heard them. And then we're like, but I'm not really sure that you could actually do them. Like, how, how many times? You're like, no, that's not me. But how many times do we lack the trust and the faith that God is going to do something or do that thing in our lives? It's, it's easier to have that trust and that faith for somebody else than it is for us. It's easier for me to believe that God's going to do this thing out of somebody else or with somebody else than it is for me. But God says, I want to use you. I have called you. Can you stand in the expectation of what I want to do? Can you expect it? Can you have that full confidence that it's going to happen? In Hebrews 6, 11, and 12, it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, diligence to the, to the full assurance of hope, that expectation. Show diligence diligently. What does that mean? That means that, means that you don't waver. That you don't just kind of believe it's going to happen, or maybe just for a little bit you have that assurance of hope, but then it, but then it trickles out, and, and, then, and then you just don't know if you got it anymore. He says, we want you to show that same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish. Why? Because he says, because we don't want you to become, you, you know what? I mean, this thing is, this scripture is talking about me. It may be talking about you too, but. It's saying, Josh. I want you to show diligence to the full assurance of hope and have that expectation so that you don't become sluggish. And I, and I say, are you looking at me? Are you watching me? Because that's what I do. When I don't trust and I don't think that God is going to do it, 
I get slug. I'm just like, you know, I might as well just sit back. I might as well just not stand up. I might as well not move forward. I might as well not run. But what God is doing is, is, is he's saying, run. No, 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 run. Run this race that I've set before you. Get up and believe that I want to use you, that I want to do this thing in your life. Believe it. And it says, back in Romans 4.18, who contrary to hope in hope believed. What is that? What is that? Anybody like me? You're like, wait a second, what? Who contrary to hope, in hope believed. And what that means is, right, because the hope is the expectation of good. Is that expectation that God is going to do something. And what it's saying here is, contrary to natural or fleshly hope, trust and believing that something's going to happen for him, that they could have a child, for us, that God is going to heal us, that what's happening in our lives, that God is going to do something good with it, that what we're walking through, that he can strengthen you and guide you and lead you out of. And it says, and contrary to the fact that it doesn't look like in the natural that God is going to do something, contrary to the hope, even though it doesn't, doesn't look like it's going to happen or can even happen, can possibly be something. Even though in the natural it doesn't look like that, in hope, in trust and expectation in who God is and believing that he is who he is and he says and he does what he says, and he's faithful, and he always comes through, that he'll do it. So contrary to what it looks like in the natural, can we see who God is and expect it to happen? Can we have that expectation? You know, the Bible says a lot about who God is. He created the heavens and the earth. He's your father. He's your king. He's your healer. He's your sustainer. That he created everything in existence, so how could he not 
How could he not do that thing in your life? Do we believe it? Do we expect it? Do we know that he sees us? Because that's another aspect of it and where I want to go now. He sees you. He knows you. He knows what you're going through. In Exodus 2, verse 23, it says, Now it happened in the process of time that the king of Egypt died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and they cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. So God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children. God looked upon the children of Israel. And God acknowledged them. I mean, there's so many things in here. First of all, that their prayer and their hurt and their groaning, it came up to God. That he heard it, that he felt it. And it says that he looked upon the children of Israel. He saw them in their need. Do you understand? Do you know that he sees you in your need? That, that he sees you there so many times. Maybe it's just me, but you're like, God, do you see this? Do you see this need that I have or this thing that's going on in my life? God, do you see? You understand? I need this healing. God, do you see me? But he sees you. It says he looked upon the children. Oh, but not only that, he acknowledged them. And how many times do we think, God doesn't have the time to acknowledge who I am. But he acknowledges He says, I see you, and I, and I know what you're going through. I see those things happening. And I see that you're waiting. Can you stand in expectation and, and, and hope and, and faith, trust that, that I will do this thing that I want to do in your life, that I will make it happen? Because he was aware of their pain. He knew that there was pain and anguish in their life. He knows that you're going through difficult things or that you need that healing. You need that restoration. He sees it.
but are we standing in expectation? Are we groaning in a way that wafts up to God, if you will, that is raised up to Him as a prayer of who He is and, and trusting in Him? Then I want to go to John 1, 45. You have in John 1 where Jesus is beginning to call people to himself. And in these verses, you have Philip, and it says in verse 45, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the promise or the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. He says, we've, we've found the one that's been written about since the times of old, the one, the, the Savior, the Messiah. We found him. He's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So first of all, let me talk about this. Nathaniel's response reveals something about us. I don't know about you, but it's like a mirror straight into my soul. When he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He's, he's taking and seeing that, you know, this little dirty town that, you know, nothing good really has come from in the past. And he's saying, I don't see how anything good can come out of that place. And in our lives, we take that same attitude and say, I, I just don't know. I can't see how anything good can come of this. I don't, I don't see how God can work this thing out for good. That he can do it. That he can make it happen. That he can change it around. That he can use me to do whatever it is. Can anything good come of this? kind of like a mirror into our negativity about our situation or maybe who we are or what's happening in our lives. I mean, have you seen my situation? Have you seen what I'm going through? Nobody? Okay, it's just me. If I look. He says, I don't, I don't, just negative, you know, I don't know if anything good can come out of that place. I don't, I don't know if anything good can come out of this place. But Philip says to him, come and see. Come and see for yourself. Will you just get up out of that pit of wallowing and shame and, and whatever you're living in? Can you just get out of that place? of negativity and thinking that, that God can't do it or maybe he can do it, but probably not in me because of who I am or what I've done or whatever. Can you stand up 
and get out of that place and walk into a place? Can you get up and see? Will you? Mm, this is what. Listen. I can't even tell you how many times God has, has like spoken this to me in the past like year. Oh, wow, God, things are, things are well, things are going good, you know, but it's just a little bit of a struggle, you know, it's like not everything's not great, but, you know, things are going well and, you know, it, it's good, but it's really difficult. And I know you want to do great things and, and you want to use me, but, you know, I'm just, I don't, I don't know. Like, how's it going to work out? How's, how's it going to happen? Me, again, me trying to figure it out. Trying to create this scenario or, or, or wrap my mind around it. And he's like, can you just come and see? Can you just get up? And walk with me. Can you just get up and walk with me and talk with me and see what I want to do? So Philip says, come and see. And in verse 47, it says, Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, so he's coming toward Jesus. Jesus looks at him. Even as he's further away and, and walking toward him. And he said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no deceit. Ah. See, Jesus saw Nathaniel for who he really, uh, really was. He saw who he is. He knew him. He wasn't even up close to him yet. And Jesus knew him. Do you understand that he knows you? That he sees you? He knows who we really are. He sees our hearts. He knows our motives. And in verse 48, it says, Nathaniel said to him, how, how do you know me? See, Jesus didn't speak something that wasn't true. He spoke directly into his heart and, and said, I know you. A true Israelite where, who, who has no deceit in him. He's like, do I know you? Have I met you somewhere before? And Jesus answered and said, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. <laughs> he said, before you were called, before you even knew me or even saw me, before you came to know the Lord, before you even were driving, before you, you know, grew up and got potty trained. Listen, do we understand? We're not coming to him 
and dumping all of our stuff on him than something that he doesn't know. It's not like we got to tell him, God, this is all this stuff. Jesus, this is all the stuff that I'm going through. And, and, and this is all the stuff whenever I was growing up and these things happened in my life and I'm dealing with this and, and there's, you know, this discouragement or this anxiety. He, he doesn't need us to explain those things to him because he sees you. He knows you before you even came and ask him to heal you. He says, I saw you under that fig tree when you were sitting there. Before Philip even asked you to come and see, I saw you. And in verse 49, Nathanael answered and said to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So he came to this moment, this point where he is like, okay, I... I I have been doubting, and I, and I even said something pretty negative about where he was born, and can anything good come out of, out of Nazareth? And I didn't believe it when Philip told me. But now that you've looked into my soul, into the depths of who I am, and told me where I was a while ago, sitting under that fig tree, I understand that you see me, that you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And Jesus answered, verse 50, and said to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? I hear, I hear Jesus saying to us, Is it going to take me staring you down, staring into the depths of your soul and telling you who you are in order for you to believe? He said, you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Listen. I hear him speaking to me, to us, saying, don't, don't wait. To have that expectation. Don't try to figure it out or explain it away or use that negativity that keeps coming back to, to, to try to convince yourself that it's not going to happen. Stop. Don't, don't wait to have that expectation that I'm going to do this thing. He says, because you're going to see great things, not just that I can tell you who you are, not just that I'm your Lord and Savior, but also that I want to allow you to see the miraculous things that I'm going to do. You're going to see who I am, but also you're going to be a part of what I want to do. 
Can you have that expectation and that trust? The, the assurance of hope. Of who he is and what he wants to do in you and through you. Will you stand with me? See, we get to come together. We get, we get to come. To come together to worship and glorify God and, and to learn and grow together, to spend time as his family here on Sunday mornings. But expectation isn't just for Sunday mornings. See, this, this thing that I'm speaking about is not like, uh, my expectation is for what God wants to do through me, but, but your expectation is for what he wants to do through you each and every day of your life. That when you wake up, not just today, but when you wake up tomorrow, he's going to use you to change somebody's life. That when you wake up tomorrow, there's going to be healing and restoration, when you wake up tomorrow, that, that bondages will be broken the next day. I mean, it seems like too many times nowadays that we don't really even have that expectation of coming to church and having a glorious time. Much less waking up on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the rest of the week. But can you hear him saying, saying to you, I have chosen you. I have called you. I want to use you. That I want. Man, I, I think one of the biggest things, and I've said this before, I think. In, in my in like who I am and what I believe that God has called me to is to hopefully speak in a way that opens people's eyes to understand that it's not just certain people that God wants to use. That it's not just certain people that he's going to do great things for or that he's going to do great things through. Because when he says you're a chosen generation, when, when you're my family, when you're heirs, when he says you're going to see greater things than I've done, you're going to see greater things than these. He wasn't just speaking to 
a couple of people. He was speaking to each and every one of us that come generations and generations after. And we have to get past this, these, these arguments or these excuses that we've made for ourselves. And have expectation, have... This assurance of hope, this assurance that He has called each and every one of us. And I know every single one in this place would say, oh God, I want you to do great things in our world. We want you to change our nation, our, our city, our state, our nation. I want you to, we want you to change our world. Every single one of us believe that and say that. But are every single one of us saying, and you want to use me to do it because you've called me, because you've equipped me. I'm not equipped. Just step out. Come and see. Come and see. I wasn't equipped. It took a long time for me to even get up here to speak to people. Maybe like me, you need to take the baby steps. You know, baby steps, Bob. Then he needs to lead you. But, but you got to get up. Come and see. I believe God is doing something and wants to do even more and greater things. But I think the way that those things are going to happen is when his people realize who they are. When they understand who their God is and who he has created each and every one of us to be. Not just some, not just certain people, but each and every one of us. So my hope today is, is that there's an expectation stirred up in each of us with the confidence and assurance of, of knowing that he sees you. That he knows you. That he saw you. Even before today, even before. He saw those things in the past. He says, I know who you are. Don't allow anything to be an excuse because I see you now and I am calling you to rise up a chosen generation to change the world. To see God move. To be His people. Thanks for listening today. We pray this message encourages you. If you have any questions or you'd like to learn more about us as a church, you can always visit us online by going to lifechurchstl.com.